My name is James Hill and welcome to MISC, a podcast series of my interesting snappy chats with successful people about the themes, ideas and experiences that challenge them. One of the really beautiful moments was diving on the Great Barrier Reef during a full moon. So the moon illuminated the reef and all the little bioluminescent creatures were just flickering. Michaela Skovranova is an Australia-based photographer specialising in nature and underwater photography. Michaela's work has focused on capturing environmental stories in extreme environments, from the Great Barrier Reef to documenting the annual humpback whale migration in Tonga and exploring the underwater worlds of Antarctica. Michaela has amassed a variety of awards, not to mention Instagram followers, and worked with National Geographic, Roxy and Olympus Australia. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Time Magazine and the Huffington Post. Michaela, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. How have you been over the last couple of couple of weeks? Have you have you got into any isolation projects? Done anything funny? I have been practicing writing, so that's something that I've always wanted to get a bit better at. Mm. Because you have to, you know, sit down, dedicate a bit of time to it, and remove a lot of distractions. So I've been looking up some techniques and trying slowly getting there. Well, thank you very much for fighting your way to the eastern suburbs and Bondi to, to visit me, to record this. The perils of recording from home, we just got to hope that a neighbour doesn't start having a party upstairs or, you know, decorating or something. Because weirdly, there's a, I think there's a dog upstairs that about this time, you can hear its little claws on the on the ceiling and it's like it's wearing like a hundred different high heels. So as long as, as long as that dog's not going out to a party anytime soon, we should be absolutely fine. Definitely. And it's always nice to be able to hear some birds in the background and sounds of home as well. So while we're speaking, I'd really encourage any listeners to open up your Instagram or website as we speak because the photos are just beautiful. So your Instagram handle is at Mishkusk and that's M-I-S-H-K-U-S-K or your website is www.mishku.com. And trust me, you won't be disappointed if you're browsing some of those photos at the same time as listening to some of these questions. So, Mish, when did you first pick up a camera? I think I was around 15 years old. So I moved to Australia when I was 13 and my father did photography and so did my sister. So I think at the time I was really curious and I looked at it and I said, maybe that'll be a bit of fun. That's where it started. You must have advanced so much from when you first picked up the camera to now. Definitely a huge change, yeah. <laughs> and so given what's happening at the moment with you know, coronavirus, etc., I've been talking to a lot of people about working in remote or challenging conditions. You clearly have an affinity with the ocean and you've been working in parts of it that are just about as remote as it gets. What do you think attracts you to that world? I think... For me, it feels like it's an otherworldly experience. We get to visit this environment that feels very familiar, but it's actually quite foreign to us. We, of course, can't breathe underwater. So we get to visit for a period of time and it's just kind of beautiful journey and you get to feel weightlessness. And mm. that's really rare in our world. Do you think that's like one of the, the standout things, the, the weightlessness? Absolutely. We get to be released from gravity and you can only get that in space or underwater. What are some of the, the challenges of photography underwater? 
or even like being underwater for like prolonged periods of time? Well, the biggest challenge is the lack of oxygen. So <laughs> you only get to go as long as your breath hold lasts or the mm. tank of air. Yeah. So you have to be really mindful of how much time you've got to spend there. And of course, with the photography, it's quite complex because you're very exposed to changing conditions. Yeah. And often one of the biggest challenges is the visibility. It can be very poor, sometimes as little as 30 centimeters in front of you. So and photography without being able to see can be quite hard. I can imagine. Yeah. Have you ever like experienced any, any hairy moments? I feel like there's always a potential for a hairy moment. Yeah. And the best thing that we can do is prepare for the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> So there hasn't been hairy moments as such, but perhaps uncomfortable moments. I'm sure. So when you're when you're underwater and you're on a shoot, who are you working with? Do you have like a dive buddy or? Absolutely. So we've underwater diving or photography. You're usually working with at least one other person, and they're called a dive buddy. That person, though, you may have just met on the job or on the dive. So that's not someone that you're used to working with. So you have to become really familiar before you do the dive so you can help each other when you're diving. Do you have to do any sort of exercises together beforehand or do you kind of like have a little chat about what means what? Yeah, definitely. So there's this universal language that divers use. So that we use hand signals yeah. underwater so we can talk to each other. Sometimes um, we might bring a board and write something down if we want to say something that's a bit more complex but usually what happens is that you do a buddy check so you mm. check each other's equipment beforehand and you talk about a dive plan yeah. so you talk about what happens if you get separated from your dive buddy what happens in a case of emergency or you talk about the dive plan and where you're going to go when i look at some of your underwater work there's often like a magical or dreamlike quality to it what other standout beautiful moments that you've experienced there's definitely been many and i think that's the beauty of underwater exploration it's different every single time one of the really beautiful moments was diving on the great barrier reef during a full moon so the moon illuminated oh, wow. the reef and all the little bioluminescent creatures were just flickering at night and it was just i get goosebumps just talking about it what, what were the colors what, what? it was like desaturated world so it was just blue and kind of gray glowing from the moon yeah. and the bioluminescence was little blue speckles that must have been incredible have you had like um some cool encounters with like marine life definitely some animals are very curious especially marine mammals yeah so we've got humpback whales australian sea lions and dolphins and they'll come and they'll look at us and you can see that they are kind of calculating and and comprehending what you are and how to engage with you as well before we started recording actually we were, we were talking about like the sounds of underwater what what are some of them what do you enjoy about that what what does it make you feel oh, i love that there's so many underwater conversations that we don't even know about. Um, for instance, a female dolphin that has a calf in her belly, she will start to click to the baby while it's still in the womb because that's their signature whistle. So when they're born, they'll recognize that sound. So they start to teach 
the sound before they're even born. And you've got humpback whales and their calves and they talk to each other in this really silent little clicky noise as well. So there's so many creatures that are always chatting and they really rely on the sound as well. Underwater, as we mentioned earlier, the visibility is compromised. So they need to be able to have that conversation over thousands of kilometers sometimes. So incredible. We, when I introduced you, um, I mentioned that you had a focused on telling environmental stories. I imagine like sound makes up a huge part of that. But how, how important is capturing the story in your work? I think it's, uh, it's essential to put a lot of your own experience and a lot of your thoughts into that story. So it translates into a very personal and a connected point of view, I think. Because mm. I'm, I'm thinking back, which is available for people to, to watch to your nature love stories, mm-hmm. um, a film that you put together for TEDx. Tw- 2019. What was the standout thing about making that piece of filmography? What did you want people to take from that? What I really love to be able to show through that piece is that we have a very shared experience of life. Mm. All the footage that was filmed was captured on breath hold and it was just below the surface as well. So it kind of talks to our need of breathing oxygen and same with the animals featured to the Australian sea lion and the whales, turtles, they come up to breathe and then they submerge. So we've got this duality and I feel like it's a really beautiful way to connect to us and creatures that we don't get to see very often. Yeah. And I feel sorry for saying it was 2017. Time hasn't gone that quickly during lockdown. I know people think time's moving fast, but not that fast. I, feel I didn't like pick it's up your dive, your dive hand signals. <laughs> I should have picked them up. <laughs> so, so when you're, you're filming, how do you view yourself behind the lens? Do you view yourself as like a, a, a narrator, storyteller, um, or just like a, a voyeur that's lucky enough to experience some of that world? I think all of those things. Yeah. And in the moment when it's happening, I do tend to get really lost in it and I want to be able to experience it as much as I can. And especially with filming, what's really nice, we're filming underwater, you can just press record and you've got the camera further away from you. So Mm. you don't have to look for the viewfinder and you can really take it all in. And you want to be able to do that because you want to feel if there's something behind you and obviously what's going around you as well. Yeah, I've seen some of the images of that in your Instagram and also people like uh, Paul Nicklin. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you ever had, when you've had all your like equipment, your filming equipment out, like uh, an animal just come and inspect it and think, like, what's this? What's this in my world? <laughs> I had, this was a, quite a funny story. I was um, diving, uh, free diving in Ushuaia in Argentina, uh, which is a gateway to Antarctica. So wow. the water is much cooler. You've got beautiful kelp forests. And we're just waiting for some sea lions to get in the water. And this giant petrel just came up and started looking into the dome port and mm. obviously could see its own reflection and just started pecking at it. And I was like, what do I do? How do I just, you know, create a bit of space? And I thought, oh, maybe if I just splash it with some water, which of course didn't work <laughs> because they're sitting in the water. Yeah. So that was a quite a hilarious encounter. And I've got the film footage of it kind of pecking the dome port and really, really examining it. That must have been freezing, the gateway to Antarctica, did you say? When I gave you a cup of tea when you <laughs> arrived, you were like, don't worry, I've got cold hands. Yeah. 
does does having cold hands help when you have to be underwater that long? Absolutely not. So I run really cold. I'm yeah. usually quite cold. So I have to do certain things that allow me to stay in cold climates a little bit longer. And part of it is actually drinking a lot of hot liquid mm. and eating a lot of food so the body can create a lot of energy to kind of balance the coldness of the environment. What's your go-to snack when you surface on the boat before you go down to, to shoot again? Pretty much anything I can get my hands on. <laughs> and it's usually before the dive. So usually you want to have a bit of carbs and things like that just to fill you up. Yeah. And they often say you shouldn't you, you, be eating before diving, but that's not yeah, my case. You can sink so much better the <laughs> yeah. more you eat. Yeah. Going back to the storytelling bit, how, how does the message you want to convey in a shoot or through your photos impact how you take the photo? With the messaging that I want to portray, it's I want to portray a lot of compassion and kindness and love towards the environment. So that theme always runs through all my work and all my projects so even if i'm documenting something that maybe isn't pleasant or doesn't feel beautiful mm. i try and put those um, sensations into the work yeah you're clearly a nature nature lover have you ever had to film anything that has been quite traumatic to for you to witness definitely i feel like one of the harder moments for me to film was I was doing a project for Greenpeace Australia and it was in September last year and we we're filming uh, bushfire destruction of the Binnabarra Lodge up oh. in Queensland and the owners of the lodge, Tony and Lisa, we actually had to get a helicopter and drop them off there because it was inaccessible and kind of watching them walk up to where the lodge used to be, where their home used to be and they were holding each other and it was quite difficult for me to film and not feel impacted by it mm. at that moment. And I felt like they were really strong for each other. And it was a quite a moving moment for me to witness. God, yeah, it must have. It must have been. You've also done a, a campaign called Planet or Plastic, haven't I have, you? Yes. That, that must have. Were there were there some hard moments in in that? Definitely, especially when I got initially exposed to that size of the problem. I did a project with Clean Coast Collective where we volunteered to do a beach cleanup up at Cape York. And we took seven tons of marine debris of a seven kilometer beach. Wow. So, and that was hand picked. Every single piece was picked up by about 20 volunteers. And just to physically have to touch every bit of plastic that mm. could have been mine yeah. and or anyone else's to remove it from the environment, it was such a um, memorable experience because you really get to, to be able to pick up a piece of rubbish or a toothbrush that could have been mine mm. and, um, and it still existed and it washed up on a, yeah. a very remote beach or a very remote island, mm. you have to think about your impact in the world. Have you ever seen any plastic pollution impact directly on marine life? Have you seen that in your work? Your it's travels? actually really hard to see sometimes. I've definitely seen a lot of marine debris in the water. 
But for instance, up at Cape York or warmer climates, if a sea turtle gets entangled in a net, you'll actually disintegrate within three days because of the heat mm. and the bacteria. So the evidence gets lost really quickly. Mm. Whereas in other areas, maybe the, the animals might ingest the plastic yeah. and then they will die slowly. So I have seen birds be impacted by yeah. plastic and other marine life but to actually be there to capture it it can be quite difficult yeah close to sydney which is uh, where you call home what are your favorite dive sites in in, in sydney i would say shelly beach yeah. is one of the most beautiful dive sites in sydney and in australia yeah. um it is a marine reserve it's protected and the animals there it's they know that they can shelter there. It's very sheltered bay. And they have had dolphins there, whales come in too, sharks, cuttlefish. And especially this time of the year, the water clears up and all the giant cuttlefish come in to breed. So it's beautiful. Would you ever be too nervous to dive in Sydney Harbour? Or would it not really bother you? I'm talking about sharks as an Englishman. <laughs> um, definitely. Look, I think there's... A time and a place. So you have to, again, look at the conditions and you got to judge it and go, is it a good time for me to be entering water? And I think if we approach it with respect and um, knowledge, then we can negotiate that nervousness. But, of yeah. course, there's always moments where I don't fully feel comfortable. And I would say if I really don't feel like it is a safe environment, I wouldn't do a dive. Yeah. Back on land, where mm. I am far more comfortable. <laughs> what are some of your, you know, your favourite subjects to shoot? I'm really drawn to light. So it's often wherever the light lands mm. and I'll kind of gravitate towards it. So it might illuminate a bit of um, a growth, a beautiful leaf or anything like that. So mm. I kind of tend to observe small things. For this discussion, I was having a look at your Instagram myself and one of your most recent like posts is of is it a whoopers one mm -hmm, um, yes. in Japan? Yes, and it's like your 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 photo is is kind of like a it's like a fairy tale. It's kind of like a that Swan Lake almost <laughs> coming to life. How do you manage to have that effect with with uh, with your photography? Where, yes, there's playing with light, but there's also like the the soft focus. Well, how much work does something like that take? I think it looks like a fairy tale because to me it felt like a fairy mm. tale. It was such a beautiful morning and the conditions just kept on changing. So we had this beautiful, like deep blue light with the snow and then it just changed orange and, and it was glowing. And I felt like I was in this magical wonderland. Mm. And I think it then those feelings translate into the work. And that's how, and that's the images that I'm drawn to myself. And those are the ones that I would select to share as well. Yeah. As a photographer who, who, who has taken many photos, have you got like a standout image that you're like, so far, that is my masterpiece? <laughs> or, or do you just have many? I definitely don't have many. I think those unique, those images that really stay with me, they mm. happen maybe once a year. Yeah. And let's say if I go away on a project and I'm shooting for two weeks and I might come back with 10,000 plus images if you get one that feels special yeah that's that's a win for me yeah and what one's sticking out in your mind i really love an image that i captured in tonga it was one of my first trips to yeah. tonga 
And it was one of my first times in in the water. It was day one. Wow. And and I Beginner's remember just <laughs> complete. <laughs> and I remember I set up the camera and I said, okay, well, it's kind of it's set up, it's pre-focused, it's as good as it gets right now, and I just have to, you know, do my best. And yeah. we had a really playful calf. Yeah. And the baby just kind of took a bit of speed and breached right in front of us and just landed and the wave pushed us away and everyone squealed and I was just lucky enough to press the shutter before the bubbles attached to the dome port yeah Mm. oh wow we're gonna have to I'm gonna have to have uh find that um (laughs) photo and link it underneath um underneath this chat again like we, we were speaking a little bit about last summer's uh, bushfires and you mentioned like a really hard moment you had to shoot are there any other moments from that time that kind of stick out to you certainly when the news coverage started to roll out in australia about the bushfires i personally felt really disempowered because we were seeing a lot of destruction we're seeing so much damage to the environment to people's homes and it was really hard to watch and I felt useless. And I kind of said to myself, what would, what can I do or what can I highlight that brings a little bit of balance to the storytelling for me? Mm-hmm. And I had done some work up in Port Macquarie in the past and I collaborated with a friend that I did a project with on Greenpeace and we just got in the car, we did a road trip and we went up that way Mm -hmm. and started to have conversations and we connected with the RFS and the Koala Hospital. And again, it was just so empowering to see people that perhaps had lost everything and were still giving so much to the community and were helping to keep us safe and the environment. I noticed that throughout your work for me, there's quite a nice balance of, yes, that's that's beautiful, but it also tells a story. Do you try and do that? I really want to focus on things that highlight beauty and highlight kindness as well, Mm. even if it's something that's quite destructive. Right. Because I feel like if we are constantly exposed to devastation, yeah. it feels completely disempowering and we become desensitized. Yeah. Whereas we can all relate to compassion and we can all relate to kindness and beauty. And if I can put that into the work, then I feel like I can communicate the message a bit better. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it definitely, definitely comes across in, in, in so many of your um, photographs. I'd love to speak to you about your work with National Geographic. It's like a dream job. How did that relationship start? Oh, it started through Instagram, actually, yeah. like many of the things have initially. So back in, I believe it was 2014, Instagram did a interview with me mm. and they did a blog post. And from there... Olympus found me who became my sponsor later on. And then many years later, Instagram actually invited me uh, to travel America All with right. a group of photojournalists to go and do talks on photojournalism on Instagram and Facebook. And one of the places we got to present was National Geographic. Yeah. Wow. And they just, they just loved your work. So you. We connected and they did really enjoy my work and I ended up extending my stay in America because I loved 
yeah. everything I'd experienced there. Yeah. And towards the end of the trip, I contacted National Geographic and I said, would you mind if I come and presented my personal work? Yeah. And they said, yes. And what happens is they put you in a dark room with a really big screen and the editors come into the room and they come and you've got about 20 minutes to present your work. And I'm sure like so many people would dream of that moment, but I'm sure, you know, they have so much choice from um, photographers all over, all over the world to actually capture their attention and to get those like, commissions and that work um, is a huge achievement. Yeah, was- <laughs> I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, so do you think, Instagram is, you know, a great portfolio or profile raiser for photographers. I think Instagram has been a really beautiful platform for me because I get to share my personal work mm. and get to develop in that way as well. If you went and scrolled back from when I first joined Instagram, I think it was 2012, you'll really see a huge change and progression. And that's been really nice to see. And for me to also be able to reflect back on and for people to really get an idea of how I'll be able to create for them if they were to hire me. And what do you think you focus most on in terms of development of your work? I, for me, what I would focus most on in terms of development of my work is the storytelling and and every bit of life experience that I have experienced and everything that I've learned will go towards the next project. So there's always room for growth and there's always room to kind of share a different kind of a story. And I think it's really important for a creative to keep on challenging themselves that way. And what do you think is is most important to you for people when they experience your work is it just the look the look can be quite challenging especially from a commercial perspective it can definitely um, pose a few hesitations in terms of being hired because perhaps it might not fit the brand so even if the company or the brand might not feel like it's light and bright enough they will connect to the way it feels and that is the most important thing for me in the work I want people to feel something when they look at it and it's up to them to decide how they feel about it I don't want to say what they should think but if there's any kind of emotion that comes from it it's a successful image for me there's one photograph you've taken in particular that really to me conveys like a feeling and and that is the the bloom it's like a it is a dark, it's a dark image, oh, yes. but there's something like uh, something coming to life almost. Mm, that was, and for me, again, I get goosebumps. That's how vivid those moments are for me. And that's how much, I guess, love goes into creating that. And I remember, so I learned about this cactus yeah. when I was still living in Sydney and I'd moved to the Northern Rivers area, Northern New South Wales. Mm. And one day I walked out of a doctor's office and there was one unopened pod Mm. and all the other ones have already bloomed and have died off. And this cactus only blooms a couple of times a year and only for about 12 hours in the middle of the night. And I would go and visit 
that cactus every single night. How long for? <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And one night I was already in my pajamas and it was 10 o'clock and I said, I can't be, I just can't be bothered. And I said, no, no, I really have to go and look. And that's the night that it was open. Wow. Yeah. And, um, what I really loved about that moment and that flower is that it becomes the most vibrant and the most beautiful under the darkness of the night. And there's no one there to witness it. And it doesn't mind. And that's what nature does. It just keeps on existing and, and creating and just being magical, whether we are there to witness it or not. I love that explanation. That's, that's so true. Mm -hmm. Um, and for listeners, I think it's the first image on your website when you click home on your website page. It um, is. it's the first image. So if you were keen to, to see what a cactus blooming in the middle of the night looks like, um, that's where you find it. Yes. And she's called Queen of the Night. I think that's appropriate <laughs> from our conversation about, uh, my worm farm. <laughs> uh, it's quite clear that you're a, a conservationist. What other projects have you worked on? that have allowed you to raise awareness of environmental issues? All the projects that I work on definitely follow the same theme. So they come from the same place as the Nature Love Stories project. And that is to be kind of enchanted by the natural world. And it comes from a place of wonder and beauty and love. And a lot of these projects, they come from that curiosity towards the environment. Mm. So the work that I would be pitching and be looking to create for myself mm. would be along those same lines too. Yeah. You, you did, you did a bit of work in the Australian bites. Um, what was that, what did that project involved? So I got to join the rainbow warrior, a Greenpeace ship on an expedition to the great Australian bite. Mm. And the great Australian bite is an incredibly large reef system mm. that covers basically the whole bottom of Australia and it has many endemic species found nowhere else in the world. So to be able to go and dive there was just a dream. We dived places that no one's been before. So wow. that was definitely a dream project and a huge learning experience as well. Mm. What does that feel like when you're diving somewhere where, like, you know, it hasn't really been dived before? Do, like, do you, do you feel like a, you know, you must feel pretty intrepid at that point um, and cold? Look, it can feel completely terrifying, yeah. and but again, you've got you've got a team, yeah, and you've got some buddies with you as well, and you have mentally prepared yourself. And the thing is, even if there is a bit of trepidation maybe a bit of discomfort initially as soon as you're underwater and you can see it just kind of fades away mm. and what was really surprising from the great australian bite is just how much color and life there was and again it was clear that some of the animals have never seen a human before and the fish would follow us and we had a sea lion come and say hi it came and looked at every single one of our fins mm. and kind of examined it going that doesn't look like one of mm. mine where do i get one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and just kind of and i, I have this photograph where he looked at the diver and just folded his flippers in front of him just observing yeah and those are the moments where you can't imagine that would ever happen yeah mm. sounds sounds amazing mm. um it, it, it must be a quite difficult time um at the moment uh 
you know, as a, as a photographer, what's next for you? What's it, what's in the pipeline? I am working on a short film about Antarctica, which you may or may not see on a big screen in Sydney later this year. And I've got a lot of different projects that will focus on Australia and specifically New South Wales, Mm. as that's one of the first places that's been opened up. Yeah, super cool. Mm. My last question is, you know, what what is one thing that you might say to someone who's never experienced um, diving areas that people haven't been to before, like the Great Australian Bite, for example, what, what's one thing that you would, you'd recommend everyone should experience? I would say, I would say f- a lot of people find the underwater, a lot of people find the underwater world quite terrifying. It is a foreign environment. And I will echo that in saying that I am actually a very anxious and fearful person as well. So really what helps me to prepare for a new environment is to have a certain routine. And I believe either it was a podcast or maybe it was a TEDx talk as well that it was uh, athletes trained for success. So they will repeat certain Mm. um, behaviors. So when they do go into that scenario, into that competition, they've already done it so many times and they have succeeded. And so in terms of experiencing a new environment, that is something that I would really recommend is kind of take it at your own pace, at your own comfort and step by step introduce yourself into the world. And one of the most beautiful things about underwater is that you don't have to go very far. Mm. It's just below the surface. So you can just snorkel, you can just float above and just tip your head and look under. And you're so close to the land still and this whole new world opens up beneath you wow i'm sold <laughs> um let's dust off my wetsuit that i haven't used in so long and head down to uh Clavelli. Oh, it will be really lovely <laughs> now at the moment <laughs> cool thanks so much for um joining us i'm gonna go and get my uh, flippers on now <laughs> thank you for having me you've been listening to misc with me james hill and my guest, Michaela Skovranova.